0: Today on Ag News Daily. Frankly had more cattle than we had chain space. And that really is the biggest issue that we we face as an industry is how do we uh, right size both industries to, to remain competitive in a global market.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to a hump day episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr flying solo again here today as Delaney is out of office. She is boots on the ground in the field doing some stuff And I believe she is on a pig farm today because I did see her in her full biosecurity getup and she looked quite nice and white. So I'm sure that once the wedding day comes around, she's gonna look great. Although hopefully she's not wearing a biosecurity suit to her wedding. Although I do have to say something funny. I saw a TikTok earlier today and it said that David's bridal had a bush light themed wedding dress and the model was posing with the bush light. And so I definitely had to send that over to her because Bushlight is kind of a midwestern thing, so I thought that it would be perfect for her wedding day. But we'll see if she actually commits to that idea. But I'm going to continue along here with some news. Of course, a big headline that we have been following is the deer strike, and it is set to continue as the workers and the the union failed to accept or rejected i should say that's probably the proper terminology but they rejected the deal that we had been talking about earlier in the week they failed to accept the second contract reached between John Deere and the UAW it was said to bump up wages and bonuses and unfortunately because of you know the strike shares of John Deere were down 2.6% in early trade The strike will continue after 55% of the workers voted down the agreement. The union added earlier today that it was too early to comment on its next steps. But of course, we will be watching this to see how long it takes to actually reach an agreement here. But as we approach the 2022 growing season, hopefully it doesn't extend too far because we're already seeing kind of a backlog of parts and things of that nature. So definitely keeping my fingers crossed that this doesn't last too long here. But another thing, of course, that I have been reporting on is the EPA and the release of the 2022 renewable volume obligations. And we still have not seen anything come out here, but what we have seen is Growth Energy submitting a notice of intent to sue the EPA for its failure to release biofuel blending requirements. CEO Emily Score told Brownfield Ag News the EPA has until November 30th to set the 2022 RVO under the RFS. And she says the EPA already missed the November 1st deadline of releasing its rulemaking process. She says that failure to issue RVOs undermines the RFS, the ethanol market, and its stakeholders. She was quoted as saying the longer the delay, the agency is more likely to say we'll make the blending requirements for 2022 what the actual market blending was. And then you lose that market enforcement mechanism. Score also says that. She has been in contact with the EPA and all she's hearing is soon, soon, hopefully soon. And there's kind of some uncertainty. So Score says that Tuesday's notice gives EPA 60 days to issue the 2022 RVOs and set the rulemakings before a lawsuit begins in federal court. So I'm going to keep my eyes out on that to see if we do see this taken to the courts. Not sure whose side they would really be on here, so I am... Really itching to see how this kind of plays out here. And another thing that I have been looking at, of course, is bird flu. Because we have seen yet another case breakthrough in Denmark. They reported an outbreak of h 5 Well, now that I look at it, it just says H5, so don't know exactly what type of bird flu they have here, but it was a turkey farm in the central part of the country. The outbreak started on October 30th and was confirmed on November 1st on a farm containing 27,600 birds. We don't know yet if they are culling all of these animals. I'm sure they won't, but uh, don't know exactly what their plans are here. But going to be continuing to look out on this, especially since I believe it was reported in China that there were some bird flu cases in people. So definitely going to be looking out for that to see if we see anything else come of these human infections or not. I'm going to go ahead and kick things over to Russia as they have been reported to limit exports of nitrogen fertilizers and complex nitrogen-containing fertilizers for six months. The quota for exports of nitrogen fertilizers will be set at 5.9 million tons and for complex nitrogen-containing fertilizers at 5.35 million tons. That is really all the information I have on that piece of fertilizer news. I thought it was pretty interesting, of course, as we continue to see this fertilizer issue really just plague the world at this point. I think the two biggest places that we've really talked about, of course, are China and the U.S., but we've also seen some issues down in South America, and now Russia has been added to that list, so we're going to continue to see how this really all plays out from a global standpoint. But other than that, I really don't have too much news to share here. So I am gonna just kick things over to chat markets here. Not a good day when we're talking about the grain markets, really just right across the screen here. So I'm gonna rip the band-aid off, get right into the corn contract. As the December is down nine cents, close at 564, the March down nine cents, close at 572 and a quarter. In soybeans, the November contract down 12 and a half cents to close at 12.31 and a half. The January down 12 cents to close at 1244 and a quarter. Heading over to spring wheat, the December contract down 31 and a quarter cents to close at 10.44. The March down 29 cents to close at 10.27. Heading over into livestock, going to bring us back on a positive note here is the live cattle December contract is up a dollar 70 to close at 13165, the February up a dollar and a half to close at 13665. In feeder cattle the November contract up a dollar 60 to close at 17 and a half, the January up 2 dollars and 20 cents to close at 15922 and a half. In lean hogs, the December contract up $1.70 to close at $75.95. The February up $1.40 to close at $78.55. Closing our markets out with the Class Three dairy milk futures, just real up and down here as I'm going to bring things back and end on a little bit of a sour note as the November contract is down $0.20 cents to close at $18.11. The December contract down $0.25 to close at 18 dollars the december contract down 25 cents to close at 18 dollars And the January contract down $0.31 cents to close at $18.09. With that, I'm going to kick it over to my conversation with Kate Miller, aka The Meat Lady. Well, today we are talking to Kate Miller, who is the owner of Circle S Consulting. Kate, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So Kate, I introduced you as the owner of Circle S Consulting, but you do some other things as well. And you have a background, of course, like we all do. So why don't we get to know you a little bit more?
0: Sure. So the last decade of my life, I've been known as the meat lady. That's where you can find me on social media, uh, primarily Twitter. Um, participating in ag dialogue based on animal production and the meat industry in general. Um, for the last 10-plus years, I've been involved in protein sales, uh, both domestically and internationally. In the past two years, I've been transitioning more into meat packer operations. I um, was the chief operating officer and still serve in that capacity for a small regional packer in Texas. Um, and then as a result of wanting to get back closer to the family farm, um, have transitioned into a consulting role where I now offer consulting services on operations, um, both plant and administrative, for packers of all sizes. Okay,
1: you have... A lot of experience in a couple of different areas. So I just kind of want to pick your brain a little bit here and want to know what your favorite part of the industry is, the favorite sector that you've worked in.
0: <laughs> it's hard to pick a favorite, um, but I will say that I'm very honest about the fact that I love the meat industry. I feel most alive in a cooler and I love being on the processing floor. Um, I've, I've definitely grown very, very fond of the meat sector because it is so fast paced and always changing and always evolving. That being said, I have built my whole life around being involved in our family production operation. Um, which in, in some ways never changes and, um, so the the difference between both settings is uh, could not be more different. Um, things on the farm have their own pace, and uh, it's definitely a slower pace of life, which I think from a lifestyle standpoint probably has more longevity. Uh, but I do really love and have a deep passion for the meat industry.
1: Like you said, there there's a lot of things going on in the meat industry. it's always changing and there's been a ton going on concerning the meat industry, the packing industry over you know the past I, I want to say you know several years. so I kind of just want to get your take here on where we sit as an industry kind of get your viewpoint there.
0: So, starting with the drought in 2010, 2011, 2012, the industry really began to change uh, going into both the live animal and the packing industry. The packing industry was affected by the, the live animal production side of things in 2013, 2014, and 2015 very severely. Uh, in 2013, uh, major packers shut down 13 plants. Um, from an efficiency and operation standpoint, and that fundamentally changed the landscape of meat packing. Uh, Beginning in 2015, the divide between production agriculture and the packing sector became um, unbridgeable. I'll use that as the the terminology. Uh, Once live animal inventories um, hit equilibrium and the packer side wasn't desperate for cattle anymore. There was definitely a change in the way those industries functioned together and it started a, a new era of meat production and how meat producers interact um, with live animal producers. Um, all the historical norms in 2015 were broken and the trending patterns that we had followed for almost 100 years, no longer really applied. Um, that was highlighted during the, the COVID crisis of 2020, where we saw um, unprecedented supply chain issues um, and how that really impacted um, the live animal production sector uh, overwhelmingly. Um, we don't talk about supply and demand often enough in the, on the pr- live animal production side, but we were in a situation um, where we, we just frankly had more cattle than we had chain space. And that really is the the biggest issue that we, we face as an industry is how do we uh, right-size both industries to, to remain competitive in a global market? Um, there's, on the producer side, everyone says we, ne- we need more packing capacity. On the packing side, um, that that argument doesn't necessarily hold up. Um, with margins advertised where they are, uh, the market should be opening up positions for, for new packers um, to come on board. And we haven't really seen that um as aggressively as I think anyone in the industry would like. And that's kind of where the birth of my consulting company came out um, is is that point that getting into the meatpacking industry is very, very difficult from four key angles. To procurement of your raw materials, um, labor and operation administrative operations surrounding labor. Um, Running a plant has its own regulatory um, and operational needs, and then of course, um, sales. And there's um, those those four components require vastly different skill sets and vastly different knowledge bases to be successful. Um, and it's one thing from the outside looking in that it looks very simple to, to fire up a plant and, and to start hanging shackles. Um, But my experience over the last decade would say that that's not always um,
1: the narrative that is being published. (laughs) I wish it was that easy. So, Kate, I've heard a couple of different stories just kind of after what we've seen through the pandemic about people starting up these smaller processing facilities, but I have just heard these stories, you know, I don't have experience like you do, you know, seeing these kinds of things firsthand. So I want to know a little bit more about your experience there because of your, you know, consulting firm on if you've really seen an uptick here on people being interested in starting up these processing facilities.
0: There's a lot of interest, especially on the producer side for going direct to the consumer. And what I'll say about that is that and I'm blunt and always straight to the point that any idiot can sell the ribos. It doesn't take <laughs> any skill to do that. Um, it takes a lot of skill, however, to, to mitigate and find a home for all of your trim, all of your ground beef, your offal, um, and to really utilize carcass value in a way that is profitable and makes sense long term. Um, I tell everyone here's a piece of free advice that if you're going to kill 10 head a week, there's a market for that. If you're going to kill 10,000 a week, there's a market for that. But if you're going to be somewhere in the middle, you're going to have to do some very creative things and have very specific um, markets in mind and sales prior to turning on the the cooler. Um, there's definitely direct to consumer interest for, for small packers. Um, and by small, I mean 10 head a week. Um, but I caution everyone on the producer side from, going off the deep end and deciding that you're going to do this all on your own. Um, if you show me 10 producers who've gone direct to consumer, I will show you 10 producers that probably have um, 500 pounds of ground beef in the freezer or 500 pounds of um, ancillary pieces and parts that they don't know exactly what to do with yet. Uh, and to be successful long term, you've really got to be able to utilize the drop credits um, I will say in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months after the drought that we've seen in the West, um, I think that the, the dynamic in the packing industry will change somewhat. Uh, the conditions hopefully will become more favorable for producers. But when they do that, a lot of the new plants coming online are going to open up at the hot, at another market high on the live animal production side. And so you need to make sure that you are, uh, setting up your financial success based on cost of goods in the future, not cost of goods today.
1: You make some really fantastic points there, Kate. And I want to know a little bit more about your consulting business because you're offering a couple of different services that I've seen just from your tweets. So why don't you let our audience members know a little bit more about what exactly you're offering?
0: Sure. So... The consulting firm in itself, um, we have a couple different resources that we can offer. Um, the first of which is plant startup. Um, starting a plant requires a ton of regulatory uh, knowledge in terms of HACCP plans, in terms of getting your grant of inspection, um, in terms of getting all of your procedures laid out. Um as well, you've got, to have, you've got to go in with the financial administration component ready to go in terms of how are you going to handle payroll? How are you going to handle HR? How are you going to handle invoicing and payables and procurement? Um, a lot of those areas are actually regulated. So in, in terms of how fast you make cattle payments, in terms of how you pay employees, um, the tax implications of that. So there's a lot of setup that goes into starting a packer. And then you get into the fun stuff, which is, you know, getting the cooler turned on and starting production. So our consulting operation, um, our consulting firm offers operational consulting for all of those different components in terms of we will help you come in and get your HR department set up in terms of policies, in terms of insurance. Um, insurance is a huge component of starting a packer that most people probably don't think about, um, in, in, terms of getting a payroll system set up, in terms of getting an accounting system set up so that when you start producing goods, you can invoice it and get paid timely, um, at all of the legal structure behind getting a packer going um, from the the back office end, and then we can really get in and break down um, the regulatory side of things, what you'll need to to have to to operate within state and federal and export guidelines, um, and and then of course getting into to the meat and potatoes of you know how your your first legger, what is Training your first legger, training your second legger, training, um, your, your, your team, um, from knockbox all the way through shipping. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of pieces and parts that go into making a packer work. And I think that we've assembled a team that is capable of, of offering those comprehensive services to, to get you going, whether you're a packer that's going to do 10 head a week or you're a packer that's going to do 10,000 a week. Um, our team has the experience in, in all industry segments, um, not just the operations side, but also in sales, both domestic and international. That we can offer uh, some util- carcass utilization and some sales out uh, sales strategies to really help maximize value and claim some of that margin that that is so often advertised.
1: Well, Kate, if any of our audience members want to reach out to you to talk about starting up their own facility or just want to get in contact with you, maybe follow you on social media, where can they find you online?
0: Sure. So the easiest way to get a hold of me for consulting services would be to email me at kate, K-A-T-E, at brand all spelled out, dot com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the meat lady. Um, so that's at the underscore meet underscore lady. Um, and I'm pretty active on there all of the time. So feel free to shoot me a direct message, uh, or, or
1: at me. I'd
0: love to start a conversation.
1: Awesome. Well, Kate, thank you once more for coming on and chatting with us today. Definitely enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on excited to be here. Thanks again there to Kate for coming on and talking to me, you know, not only about her experiences in the world of cattle and meat processing, but just kind of, Taking a look at the industry, what's being offered right now, and who's really interested in starting up a processing facility. Like Kate said, there's a lot to go into all of that. So I couldn't even fathom trying to do that. But I definitely applaud those producers who do. So if you're interested in something of that nature, you're kind of around Kate's neck of the woods, definitely give her a ring on social media. I guess you can't really ring on social media, but drop her a note on social media and while you're at it, be sure to follow us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram while you're at it. And don't forget, the call to action today is to conduct, the call to action today is to complete the network survey. So please go ahead and go do that. The link is going to be in the episode description. And with that, folks, I'm going to let you go.